Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. It looks a little different, doesn't it? We're in the original sanctuary here where the church started here on Linden Road back in 1955 after having moved from downtown. We're here because Monday evening a storm went through the area and ended Tuesday morning and early Tuesday morning about 12.30 we lost power along with about 60,000 other residents here in this part of Ohio. Power is still out today as I record this. We welcome you and say Happy Father's Day. And as we say that, if this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and would invite you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner and just let us know who you are and maybe how we could pray for you. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and say thanks for being part of our online experience. You can use that same connection card to let us know if there's anything we can be praying for you or something you need the office to know about. As we begin together here, I want to share a couple things. One, it was an amazing time in the house last week as we celebrated our seniors. It's just an incredible time of hearing them share their testimonies, not only through the video, but some of the things that they shared in person here. And would just ask you to continue to pray for Maya and Zeke and Liz as they move into their next chapter. And it was a large blessing to be able to gather around them and their families and pray for them. And so again, we want to pray that God continues to do an amazing thing in their journey as they continue to follow him. And we also want to share that we did get out of the house to do some serving on Monday this week. We gathered early here in the building to make some what I would call sandwiches and put together lunch bags. Again, in this season, I'm so blown away by just how we can continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus and love on our neighbors in a very practical way. And then, as I said, we are celebrating Father's Day. And so as we think about the dads in our life, and the impact that they've made. We do know that dads, well, of just the reality of the things that dads bring to all of our lives. And I know if you're watching, maybe your earthly father wasn't uh, the best that he could be, uh, but he did what he could. Uh, and so all these things are to point us to the fact that our Heavenly Father loves us, no matter how our earthly fathers may fail us. But we do want to celebrate that we all come into the world because of dads, along with our moms, as we celebrated last month. We're continuing our series on witness, and we're gonna talk about character, and not so much the character that our dads can be. I wanna to talk today about the uniqueness of what it means to be a Christian, and the character that we develop as we follow Jesus, and I want us to look at how the men and women in scripture can help us grow into that. First of all, when we think about our Christian witness, we need to start with this idea that perseverance in the face of suffering builds our character. And that what comes out of that is a sense of hope and, and it actually comes out of who we are as a person. And when we talk about the Christian life, we're supposed to have this movement, if you will. There's supposed to be a direction or how maybe the Greeks would say a teleos, a focus of where we're going. And it's the accumulation of that movement as we move closer to who Jesus is and his characteristics. And, and the reality is, is that the gospel, the, the good news that we get to share, what we're talking about bearing witness to, should transform the way that we act and who we are. And I want us to see here specifically, because I think sometimes we get caught up in this, this idea that the men and women of the Bible are, are not our heroes, that they're actually, I want to suggest, are our companions. They're people we're supposed to walk alongside because we didn't live in their story, and their story is different than ours, and their story is complex, but they should give us encouragement, because they're not there primarily to teach us as much as they are to help us learn something about ourselves and about how God works. 
And finally, I want us to see that the goal of men and women in the scriptures is to expose our own brokenness and our own needs. Again, as we've leaned into the series on witness, and the idea is how do we give testimony and invite others into this amazing story that God has made us part of? Well, I want us to see that in the New Testament, writers there take character or the development of character as something very serious, something we have to look at. In fact, Paul says here in Romans chapter 5, verse 4, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and that perseverance produces character and character hope. Now, this is an important statement from Paul because we know of Paul's story, as we've talked about before, is that he understands this idea of suffering. And he also knows that it's in that suffering that's helped to build his own uh, perseverance. And yet, I also want to see that it's this idea of perseverance. When we lean into suffering, it's that's what builds our character. And that, as Paul says here in the scriptures, that out of that comes hope. And that, again, our character is built, who and what we are. Now, when we look in the writers of Scripture, Peter talks about this, and Paul does too, they both sort of lay out a sense of movement where there's supposed to be this progress that we're to be making. We'll talk about Peter at another time, but I want to just go back to the story of Paul because we know that he has seen this idea of suffering in his own life, and he knows what it does, how it, he, as he continues to lean into it, it is going to produce the character that, that he needs to be the follower of Jesus. And so I want us to be clear that there is a very real sense that the Christian life, as we are faithful followers of Jesus, that there's a direction and a movement that we have to go into and, and move towards. And that's all about becoming more like Jesus. And what it's really about, too, is this accumulation, if you will, this building on of all these various characteristics that Jesus desires for us. I want to draw on a book from our friend from England, uh, Professor N.T. Wright. He's written a number of books, and I recommend all of them to you, but in particular this book entitled After You Believe. He basically gets to this deeper question, what is the Christian life after conversion? Now, when you think about your own story and how you came to faith, wherever it might have been, as a teenager or maybe later in life, uh, there's a point where you get introduced to the whole idea and then you sort of buy into it and you believe it. And then it seems like what we end up doing from that point forward is we just continue to do the right things until the end of our lives here on earth. And I want us to see that obviously that's not the point of just continuing to live our lives, but there's an impact that we're supposed to make in, in living our lives for Jesus and how we progress in our journey of becoming a fully devoted follower. So I, I don't want to be naive about how easy it is for any of us to slip into just what I would call a stagnant Christian life. And so in this book, After You Believe, Why Christian Character Matters, Tom says this. This is a long quote, but it's important. Many Christians have so emphasized the need for conversion, for the opening act of faith and commitment, for the initial statement of that faith, believing that Jesus died for me or whatever, that they have a big gap in their vision of what being a Christian is all about. It's as though they were standing on one side of a deep, wide river, looking across to the further bank, and on this bank you declare your faith, but on the opposite bank is the ultimate result, the final salvation itself. But what are people supposed to do in the meantime? Simply stand here and wait? Is there no bridge between the two? What does that say about faith itself? 
If we're not careful, this opening act of belief can become, quote, simply a matter of assent to a proposition that Jesus is the Son of God, etc., with no need for transformation. He continues, what we're, quote, here for is to become genuine human beings, reflecting the God in whose image we're made and doing so in worship on the one hand and in mission. It is full and large sense on the other, and that we do this not least by Quote, following Jesus, the way this works out is that it produces, through the work of the Holy Spirit, a transformation of character. He continues, this transformation will mean that we do indeed, quote, keep the rules, though not out of a sense of externally imposed, quote, duty, but out of the character that has been formed within us. And it will mean that we do indeed, quote, follow our hearts, and that we live, quote, authentically, but only when, with that transformed character fully operative, the hard work up front bears fruit in spontaneous decisions and actions that reflect what has been formed deep within. And in the wider world, the challenge we face is to grow and develop a fresh generation of leaders in all walks of life, whose character have been formed in wisdom and public service, not in greed for money or power. And then finally, he says, the heart of it, The central thing that is supposed to happen, quote, after you believe, is thus the transformation of character. So I I love this idea, and I think the way I can sum it up is that we're here on earth so that we can become more like Jesus Christ and experience a transformation of character in ourselves. Now, to be honest, as we think about this in the life of the church, I'm not sure if any of us have ever really heard a message preached on the idea about our character I mean, we end up talking about our conversion, how we came to faith. We end up talking about the resources of our faith to meet our needs and trials, about prayer and discipline of uh, silence and solitude and and worship and, and serving. And we even talk about sin. But there isn't a lot of talk or expectation even that the gospel would transform the way we act, the way you act, the way we are, who you are, and those characteristics that make up our lives. And so I guess it really needs to be said this way. After years of following Jesus, your life should look different from the first day you met him. I want to draw on one of my favorite authors also, C.S. Lewis. He wrote an amazing book called The Abolition of Man. And it's interesting, this book came out in the 1940s. And yet I think some of the things that C.S. Lewis talks about in this great work is actually very applicable to the world we find ourselves in right now. I mean, the reality is when we look at our culture and we look around and we just watch the news, pick your channel, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, whatever, you just watch it for five minutes and you can pretty clearly see very quickly that uh, we are living in a season of time in which uh, there's a lot of confusion about truth and reality. And the truth is, is that there seems to be that there's no real right and wrong in our culture. That really what's going on is there's this deeper sense of morality, maybe, of this sense of right or wrong, but it has to do more about what you think is right or wrong as opposed to what God's word says is wrong. And so we might even say it this way, what's true for me may not be true for you. And I think that's part of the confusion in which we find in our culture. There's also this idea that there's no real impact or no personal preference, so there's no real uh, pressure for anyone to sort of lean into becoming a a better human being, if you will. And so it's interesting the phrase that Lewis is going to use, and I think 
I think this may be abstract, but I also think it may be helpful for us to dive into how do we understand really what this, the idea of our character formation is all about as we think about it from a Christian perspective. It's interesting in this book, The Abolition of Man, Lewis warns that we would end up producing what he calls chestless men. And what he means by that, and let me just unpack it, he says that the human machine is made up of three components. There's the head, there's the chest, and there's the stomach. He says it's the head that is the seat of our ideals and how we think, our rationality. It's what we think life can and should look like. And he says the stomach is made up of the human impulses and instincts, our cravings and our desires. And then he says that the chest is basically, it mediates between the two that when the chest is absent or atrophied, as he says, we are caught between our ideals and our instincts. He says we know what we should be like. We have these high ideals, but we can't control our cravings. What, What we want and what we feel, and why is it that certain things in life keep happening? Why is it that I can't get out of my sense of addiction or I can't seem to move away from those things that that steal my joy? that rob me of my uh, time and talent and treasures, that show my own brokenness. It's interesting as he unpacks this in the book, he he wants us to develop self-control that can rule over instincts and guide our lives towards what is good. And it may be to move out of this abstract idea into another example he gives, the analogy to Navy vessels, about a Navy vessel trying to reach a port, a distant port, and trying to get there. And he he suggests that it's the same goal that we have as following Jesus, and that's the idea we're trying to get to a destination of being fully devoted followers of Jesus. And and Lewis shares that there are two requirements for the Navy vessels to make their destination to the distant port. First of all, he says, they must be able to coordinate and communicate their movements with one another. And if they can't coordinate, they're going to crash and sink. And as we think about that in our human understanding, it's really about the external responsibilities of what it means to live with others. And if you just think about that aspect in our culture right now, just all the the craziness with the shootings and even this week in Akron about the tragic death of a young man whose father is actually a United Methodist pastor in Akron who was beaten senselessly by three boys uh, just because they got into an altercation. And it's those kinds of things that we just don't understand. How is it that we can live as citizens together and yet maybe not agree on everything? It is about this idea of who we're supposed to be, whether we're talking about in the home and the things there as we love each other and provide there, or we talk about in our church home that there's things that we need to avoid in our conversations with each other uh, because if we don't, we're going to crash and sink. And so the real question, and it's a question even for our larger series probably, is how do we live well among each other? That's actually a phrase that Lewis uses. So the first thing is that it's about coordination and communication. But he also says that it must be the Navy vessels and also our human lives must be good enough that they're in working condition to carry out what needs to be done, the maneuvers that have to take place to get from, from where they are to the distant port. Uh, And so really what we talk about there, it's about the internal conditions of the vessels that's in question. It's about the vessel's character. Now, the ship may have uh, in the helm all sorts of maps and and radios and radar and all the things to direct them. But if their rudder is broken, uh, they're going to end up crashing. They're not going to get to where they need to be. I mean, the idea of not only how do we communicate and coordinate our efforts together, 
But then are we healthy? Are we creating margin in our lives? And that's a whole other series that we've done uh, talking about just how do we uh, live in a season of, of where it's just so much that comes at us. How do we uh, leave things undone and find time to worship God uh, through time away, uh, through Sabbath and silence and reading scripture and listening to great worship music? You see, the reality is that human life, our lives together, requires uh, knowledge and skill. And it's the same thing is true about the physical ship, is in order to do the ship, it has to be uh, in good health and, and moving in the right direction. And so what I want us to see, and I think this is particularly a problem for those of us in the Reformed tradition, is that we have this great knowledge about what it means to be a Christ follower, but we don't put it into action. And I would suggest, just given the nature of the conversations we've had, not only in our tribe, but in so many other churches in the world, uh, I've been on several Zoom calls through one organization called New Thing and have heard amazing stories from places like Nigeria and Ethiopia and, and Egypt of what God is doing there and planting churches. And yet in America here, we're talking about having to close churches because of just the fact that they're aging out and that there's a whole generation of young people that ha are missing out on what it means to be uh, invited into this amazing story that God is writing. And so we need to see that it's not just about having the right theological knowledge to know what we need to know and to know the goal, but it also needs to be said that we need to be following who Jesus is and becoming more like him. It, what it means is that we really have to show up and we have to do things. We have to lean into sharing our time and our talent and our treasures to help advance the kingdom. And so what Lewis is talking about here is it's really about developing our personal character of building what he calls the chest that connects the head to the stomach. It's, it's basically the maintaining of, of the ship. So I want to try to unpack this, this question of about how do we go about growing? And the world around us looks to heroes, great heroes, uh, people like Hercules and Hector and Achilles, right, that are in the great ancient books. Or we look on contemporary TV with American Idol, or you take the whole Marvel universe and the story of the various heroes there, Tony Stark and Iron Man and all those kinds of things. And the problem is we culturally look to people who are what we would call celebrities. We, we think that they have got it all together. And the danger that we do is we bring that to the way we read the Bible as well. What I mean by that is how many of us have looked at the life of David and say, man, what can I learn from David's life? Or what is it that he did on a daily basis that I can put into practice? How can I be more like him? Well, the reality is that these men and, and women in the Bible, they're more complex than simply just doing the right thing, to just do this and don't do that. So when we look at their stories, we have to see that their story isn't our story. It's much more complex. There's too many different nuances that we have to pay attention to. And so we don't want to look to them as heroes, uh, we want to look to them as being our companions. I mean, that's what the Christian life is supposed to be about, right? We receive Jesus, and then we start reading the Bible, and we begin learning these lessons. So it can't be broken down into yes and no stories. And, and the reality is that's what the Christian life is all about, right? We receive Christ, and then we start reading the Bible, and we learn the lessons from those men and women that we encounter there. But I want to suggest very clearly is that these men and women that we read about in the Bible are not to be our heroes, but they're to be our companions, people that we get to walk alongside with, who walk alongside us and help us understand.
and the, their stories as they're written in the scriptures are not there to teach us, but they're there to help us learn something even about ourselves. It's interesting the way the Hebrew stories are written. They're much different than the Roman and Greek kind of stories that are written about the same time. They're, they're really written to expose us, if you will, not just how to live, but to understand that like them, we all live in a place of need, that out of our brokenness, out of our need for salvation, Jesus says this in Matthew 13, for truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You see, the goal of the men and women we get to read about in the scriptures is to expose our need, the fact that we all need a savior. Because when we read their stories, first of all, it opens up our own eyes to our own need, and it opens up, up for us to see that there's this door of faith that we need to knock on. It also does something about humbling us, right? When you lay out your own instincts and your own impulses, you see that it's humbling there, but by the grace of God, go I. And then finally, it helps us to understand ourselves and the ways that we're broken. So I love reading about these folks that are in the scriptures. They are our companions, and we are on the road with them. I mean, for example, when you look at the character of David, right? If you are David, there's lots of good that happened in his life and a lot of bad. And if you're Moses, for all the successes and failures, he still struggled. And then even the story of Samson, for all the vindication that came his way, there was still devastation and loss that came out of stupid decisions because he allowed his hair to get cut. Once you recognize this, that these men and women are our companions, it's going to change the way you read the Bible and how you hear their stories. In particular, it's not that the Bible is an encyclopedia of rules. In fact, these stories are there to expose your need and my need and to put us within these men and women who strain to see who Jesus Christ is and then by faith to receive something better. The truth is, as we live our lives each day, right, where we find ourselves in the home, in the church, at work, is that it's those environments that probably put a lot of attention on, on just all the things that we're working on that without uh, the tools to ask the moral questions about what's going on in our, in our lives. So again, the lesson in how to grow in character, because you see, without character, we live caught between the ideals and the impulses that leave us frustrated by our lack of progress. Again, back to that analogy of the heart and the stomach and, and missing out on the chest. The scripture gives us men and women who expose us as we look at their lives, they force us to deal with what's really going on in their own story. And also this idea, it opens the door to receiving something we can't get through our own effort. Again, as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing he states very quickly is that this is the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it's that beginning of understanding that it's not about us, and it's about what God can do in and through us. The simplest expression of this in the Bible is where we see the stories of Paul as he communicates with his young protege, Timothy. We saw this last week as we talked about the baton, as we hand off to the next generation the hope that's within us. It's interesting that we know that within Scripture, Paul writes a lot, right, in the New Testament. He's the predominant author. 
And most of his effort is written to churches where he, he doesn't know maybe individual people, but he knows the church as a whole. So he writes to the churches in Rome and the church in Corinth and the church in Galatia. And, and yet what's interesting, there's a couple books where he writes to Timothy and he also writes to Titus. To, and these are individuals who he has mentored and who he's actually traveled and done life with. Now with Timothy, we know this much, Paul knows who he is. Paul knows his character. Paul knows his difficulties and his struggles. He knows where Timothy is serving. He's actually put him in a very difficult place. Timothy is currently in Ephesus when Paul writes to him. And we know if we follow the journey of Paul that that's where Paul encountered some riots when Paul showed up. And so it was complicated and messy. And at the same time, there were lots of cults that were taking place. And also there were a lot of false teachings that were taking place in the church. And so that's why Paul sent Timothy there to lean in. And so it's even a place where Paul has to teach the men not to argue when they pray. I mean, that's just crazy. Who argues when they pray? But that's how messy the church was. And so Paul sends Timothy there. And so this first book of Timothy, is, it's where Paul writes with a deep sense of encouraging uh, Timothy to keep practicing and leaning into these things of faith that are important. So Paul says this, don't neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. He says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely, he says. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there's two things that Timothy has to do in able to make progress and to persist. And Paul says to him that if he does that and leans in, that he will save his own life and he will also make a difference in the lives of others. He will impact other people. And so basically what Paul is saying here is, first of all, pay attention to what's actually going on in your life. And I think in this current season, all of us need to be much more self-aware of what's going on, particularly as we just continue to lean into just all the craziness. It's just like, when is this going to stop? Two years ago, it was the global pandemic, and the world shut down, and then we dealt with racial tensions, and then we dealt with economic upheaval, and then we came back and dealt with political upheaval, and then we came back and dealt with economic upheaval, and it's just like, when is it going to stop? So we really have to take a pause and unplug and, and really get a sense of what's going on in our own world, and that's going to come in a relationship in our private time and reading scripture and knowing who God is as our Father. And then even asking these larger questions, what's my motivation and what matters to you and what's causing us to act in this particular way? Specifically, as we think about how do we grow our churches? How do we grow our communities of faith? How do we step out and offer the hope that we have to lives around us that are broken and disconnected from reality? And then we also have to recognize what we have in Christ, that we have to learn to apply everything that we get from knowing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's two things we have to do here. We have to know what Jesus has done, and then we have to work all that into our life. Unfortunately, what happens is that we do one of these, but we don't do the other. We have to do them both together. And you know, our culture, I mean, we, it's all about, well, you got to get to know yourself, and there's all sorts of self-help books and websites and you know, gurus you can go to. And so you can get all the right information so that you can have a life of meaning, even the idea of the pills you should take. I mean, it's crazy watching some of the news channels of, of just all these pills that you need to, to stop the pain and to give you more health because of, of not eating your vegetables and your fruits, right? But at the same time, we have to live into these things. 
Sometimes what we do is we only pay attention to our theology and our knowledge, and, and we don't get the full life of meaning that we're supposed to have. Paul's saying very clearly to Timothy, and I think to us too, that we have to pay attention. We have to pay attention to where we have a need, and we have to address those things. So really, it's about self-awareness and gospel awareness. And so I just want to draw on another scripture here, one that you probably know well. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. You see, the reality is it's we, you and I, who are the ones who have inherited these stories. It's the men and women that have gone before us, the men and women we read about in Scripture, the men and women we've known here at Linden Road, men like Bob Solon or Bob Meese or Kay Prion, so many individuals that were faithful and leaning into being a faithful follower of Jesus. And so by their witness, we then also understand our own weakness that opens up, our own need and our own brokenness for the idea of having companions to walk alongside us to help us better understand what it means to be fully devoted. So that seeing this, the writer wants us to be able to focus on Jesus so that we can, like we talked about last week, we can run the race and pass off the baton to those that are going before us that we can make progress, if you will, and that it will grow us up to be the witnesses to others. And that's why we're talking about this. So let me just say this, that we all need to watch our life closely, and then we need to lean into watching the gospel. And then the question is, how can we grow? Well, first of all, we can learn to make real and internalize the advice that we get from Scripture, and to also use that to cultivate a deeper sense to grow and to actually grow something better in ourselves, be a better person because of how we, we walk with Jesus, and to see as we walk that there are areas, areas where we need to grow, and that we need to receive more from Jesus, and that we need to understand that what he gives us is a gift, and to make sure that we move away from any sense of complacency that we might have drifted into. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you've called us to this work. You've called us to be a witness. It's by your grace that we've been saved. So I pray, Father, that you put on our heart uh, that you would inspire us to persevere. And in doing that, that we, as we build our character and lean into the work of the Holy Spirit each day, things that the Holy Spirit is doing in our life, even now, that you would give us courage to have conversations with people who need to know about you. That not only are, have we been invited into better things, but may we invite others into that. And so we just pray it in your strong name, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.